Talking about success is easy. We do it all the time. But what about failures? What about the stumbles we've made along the path to success? Doesn't anyone want to hear about those moments too? I know I do. And I think it's time to start getting real about what it actually takes to work towards your goals. My name is Artemis Kohas, owner of the Kohas Agency, licensed mental health counselor, and the voice of Now What? a podcast that asks its guests the hard-to-answer questions about how they address the difficulties they have faced in their personal and professional journeys. I'm interested in those moments that we ask, now what? That question usually follows unexpected changes, disappointments, and challenges. Join me in this endeavor to uncover what it means to keep it real on the road to success. I'm really excited to speak with Christopher Andre Marks today. He is a film director and producer who recently launched his new film, King Otto, in New York City. He's going to tell us all about the film and all about how he got to become a film director and producer. Chris, like, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got there? Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I've been working in film for... Uh, so I've been working in, uh, so I went to school at NYU film school and afterwards I got a job working for HBO um, and HBO sports. And then from there I went on to work for ESPN films and then made a film for their ESPN 30 for 30 series. And then from there I branched off and started directing commercials. And um, my first feature narrative would be uh, King Otto. Awesome. Um, so I'm wondering like, along the way of this journey? Like, first of all, how did it start? Like you're wanting to be in film and you're wanting to create, you know, and tell stories um, <clears throat> about people, about, you know, life. Yeah, uh, so I grew up wanting to be an athlete. That was kind of, you know, I was playing sports and wanting to be a, you know, professional soccer player, professional hockey player. Um, and then that kind of led me to, then I got injured when I was uh, 18 during my draft year for hockey, and I decided to abandon that completely and go in a completely opposite direction and went to uh, NYU, which was as far from hockey as I could find. Uh, and then, you know, I'd always been interested in film and would do a lot of, you know, do a lot of little movies and things like that when I was a kid with my friends and we would, you know, invite them over and we'd have hand them their scripts and they were not happy about it but it would be kind of like uh you know a side passion and then um I just decided you know when I got injured I was like I think we should I should go back and think about what I like to do as a kid and what I wanted to do to pursue as a career and so I went to uh to film school and then from there I went uh and got a job working at HBO and my first job was working with sports and uh and, and film, which was a combination of two of my passions. And then that kind of led me obviously to King Alto, which is a, a sports story, but we try to tell a bigger story, a cultural story. Yeah, absolutely. And would you say like, I mean, so in the end you were able to like sort of meld your two passions, but would you say that at the time that you decided to go to film school, that was like something that was like way out of your comfort zone? Yeah, I mean, I definitely wasn't thinking to go to, you know, theoretically art school at that point um you know it was kind of my whole mentality was that I was going to go to a school <laughs> and play ice hockey and um that was you know what I'd spent a lot of time in high school training for and being part of 
Um, and, you know, I think it was just a very big, uh, you know, change in direction for me personally. Um, you know, my family worked in um, Spanish media and I grew up in kind of a different environment with that because it was, you know, even though we're Greek, we were in Spanish media, had a Spanish media company with radio stations and televisions and media outlets. And so television stations and media outlets. And so that was kind of my exposure. So I was exposed to, you know, music, the music industry growing up, um, but not film. So it was kind of like, it felt a little bit safe because I felt like, um, you know, I'd experienced that world a little bit, but it was obviously in a very different capacity. So um, yeah, I just kind of went all in and I uh, went to school at NYU. Awesome. And I, I wonder also, like, because you said you, at the moment that you got injured, right, that had to be, was it a traumatic injury? Or was it just, I mean, if you can't play anymore, I assume it was a bad injury. Yeah, I hurt my knee. It wasn't, uh, and you know, it wasn't a good injury. Uh, well, not that there's ever a good injury, but it was also yeah. very unfortunate timing. Um, and so kind of just upended, um, I guess, the trajectory that I was focused on. But, you know, I think it was also potentially a blessing in disguise because, you know, at that time when you're in high school and you're a kid, you know, you're focused on what you're focused on, but your interests change, obviously, and adapt as you grow older. So um, I don't know that I would be as satisfied being a hockey player or a, an athlete, you know, beyond when I was 18 and 19 and 20. I mean, yes, mm -hmm. you devote a lot of time, but I felt like that wasn't really what I wanted to do. So it actually was kind of a blessing in disguise. Did it take you a while to see it that way? I mean, imagine yeah. that's devastating, you know, in that, like, did you go to like a sort of a very low place? Um, yeah, I mean, when it happened, it was very, it was very traumatic, but, um, you know, it felt like, like an end of one chapter in a way, because um, you spend, you know, a lot of time to get to a certain level and then in sports and then you basically are saying you can't do that anymore or you can but it, it would be a long road back and then at that point your odds are diminished and all that so that was kind of a um that was kind of a turning point and i think but it was also kind of a re-examination period for me i think because i really looked at what i wanted to do i mean i was like reading italian cinema books and on a bus to a hockey game I and mean, people were like you know i wasn't exactly fitting the mold anyway so it was kind of wanting to do my own thing. And I felt like film would give me the best chance to do that. What helped you? Because like, you know, I think I'm deep diving sort of into this a little bit because I think we all go through sort of periods where we have turning points and, you know, where we have to re-examine what we're doing. And you said, oh, I thought I would go back and think about what gave me joy when I was a kid. And, you know, did somebody help you with that? Was it conversations you had, you know, with your family, with coaches? Um, you know, what was, if you can remember, you know, what the thought process was or how, how, what helped you during that time to get out of that sort of devastation and think, okay, this, here's the silver lining, you know, here's something else that could be really cool, you know, and be, and I could be good at. Yeah, I think I was, I was kind of, I think it wasn't so dramatic that it was like a, like a complete cutting off. Like, I think I was kind of veering that way, whether I realized it or not towards the, I was like when I was 16 and 17, I was starting to think about, you know, okay, if I went to this college and I played here, then, you know, I could maybe study this and then maybe get and you know, go to grad school there. Something like I was starting to think beyond 
at that point, but then this kind of just forced my hand. So, um, you know, I think that was the, the, the turning point, but, you know, my family was really supportive and we talked about, um, you know, what I wanted to do and, and, you know, it's not like it's a really realistic, it's not a realistic, uh, you know, alternative. You say you leave sports and you try to go with film, but it was, uh, it wasn't like I just decided exactly. to enter into medicine or something equally challenging or something, but it was, or something stable at that point. Um, it was like, you know, um, yeah, I don't know. It was just something that I wanted to do growing up. And, uh, so I, you know, it was interested in pursuing it. Awesome. And so can you say then, I mean, it doesn't feel like it was a huge leap out of your comfort zone. What would you say has been like the biggest leap that you've made? I mean, was it making your first film, you know, and by leap, I mean like doing something that gives you sort of a little bit of anxiety about maybe, you know, am I going to be good at this? Am I going to succeed? Am I, yeah. am I going to make it? Yeah. I think, um, well, leaving, leaving work at HBO, and deciding to do it to go solo was um was kind of a step and you know initially you're you know i you have self-belief and you can that you can do it but it's also just kind of a you know eye-opening experience to then suddenly be you know hustling for gigs and having people be sending you um you know you're, you're dealing with a different program than than you wanted and then i think another step was uh doing this film king auto because it was uh you know it was in greece and it was a film that no one's made in 18 years and um since or you know at that point it was i guess uh 14 years but you know it was a, it's a big story for for the greek community and i wanted to tell it and you know it was just kind of it was a lot of pressure initially to to go there and to uproot my life and move to athens and live in London and where we were editing and, you know, work in Germany. And it was just kind of a, a different, you know, scenario than shooting in, uh, in New York or any of the projects I had done previously. Even the ESPN film that I did, you know, we shot in New York, it was near the office. I went home at night. It wasn't like a complete uprooting of your life, but this was, and, uh, but, you know, it was a good challenge. And I think, you know, I don't regret obviously doing it. It was fun to, to challenge yourself personally as well as professionally. Yeah, and I wonder if you were always, I mean, you said your family was in media and, um, you know, TV and radio. Was it more like newsy? Like, were you always interested in the documentary type thing um, versus, you know, something more fiction, HBO? I don't, you said you worked on sports again. So um, I wonder what that sort of, how did you get to the documentary piece? Yeah, I were, I mean, it wasn't so much about news. It was more, um, like they they had a media company with a bunch of different outlets, but and some of it was radio stations, but it was more programming and and you know um, artists like Shakira and uh, Selena before you know when in the past and Ricky Martin and Enrique Iglesias these kind of people. Um, so you know it wasn't really news; it was more kind of a culture. But I think what I learned with that, at least with the Spanish with the Latin community. Um, was there's a degree of there's a degree of separation. So a lot of their programming was catered towards um, the Latino culture in the United States and in California and the Western United States. And you know there's one degree of removal from where a lot of the influence is coming from. So in a way, I transferred that to my understanding of the Greek culture and the Greek community because 
you know, there's a difference between Greeks in Greece and Greeks in the United States or the diaspora. And they have a very different opinion about things. And, you know, a lot of it is, um, you know, there are similarities, but at the same time, they have different tastes and they have different outlooks. So I think that taught me kind of growing up about the, the differences in, you know, um, diaspora, I would say, diaspora families and communities um, and people in, you know, the homeland, let's say, uh, in Greece, for example. So I think that was, was a good education growing up. And then in terms of documentary, it just kind of happened that way where I worked for HBO documentaries, which had nothing to do with sports. It was a lot of, um, it was, you know, at the time it was kind of the, the premier place for documentaries and they had, uh, it was led by Sheila Nevins, who was like the legend of, of, uh, of documentaries in New York and in the world. But, you know, she was, she kind of spearheaded a department that was really um, influential and, um, you know, I think from there I worked for HBO Sports, but that also happened to be a doc series that I worked on. And then from there, ESPN was also doing docs. It was just kind of what is, was more accessible at the time. And although King Otto, we initially wanted to tell this story as a scripted narrative, um, it felt like this would lend itself more to a hybrid style. Like the, the King Otto is not exactly a documentary where people just kind of talk and tell you it, it's a a full film and you know you actually watch the games from the 2004 tournament and you actually live that feeling so that was always an objective especially because we were releasing theatrically we couldn't just have a documentary where people are telling you what happens i mean it had to be a movie so that was always the the objective so you told the story you told it in a hybrid format and you had a theatrical launch tell us about that yeah so we released theatrically around the world which was great um we initially were going to release in uh, 60 countries theatrically and time it with the euros, but then COVID hit. So we had to adapt in terms of where and when, because uh, a lot of theaters were closed. But I think, you know, the ambition was always to do a global theatrical release with it and not, um, you know, a traditional doc, because this wasn't really a traditional doc. It was more of a, it was a film, as I was saying. So the, you know, what we did is we took kind of what we could what we could find in terms of openings with theatrical so you know Australia at the time we released first um, you know COVID was not as bad in Australia initially so we released there theatrically first and then unfortunately the day of our release Melbourne went into lockdown but it was like the you know it was kind of having to go with that and then we there was a lull in Germany so we released in Germany Australia and Germany Austria and Switzerland then Greece we released in September and then you know the United States and Canada here and then we released in streaming in a lot of places and um, you know it was kind of having to roll with the punches because you couldn't predict lockdown strategies and all that stuff so it was definitely a hybrid rollout but um, I think you know the important thing was for us to get the film out there and we distributed in something like 25 countries now and um, you know it's been around the world so it's great to have Greek stories be you know global absolutely i was i was so excited to see it's at the angelica like you know that's pretty awesome so you know that's a huge accomplishment so thank you for that um and this is this is a huge undertaking right with so many spokes on the wheel so i'm wondering like was there a moment you know or were there parts of this that were totally new because it's not just it's not just, you know, making a film, making a documentary. 
that stuff, it seemed like you'd flex that muscle a lot. So you knew how to do that. You know, and when you become, you know, on your own, an entrepreneur, you're running teams of people, you're running media, you're dealing with finances, which parts of those sort of scared you, if I can use that word, scared you the most? I mean, were there parts of those that you felt like, wow, this is really not something I'm good at, or I don't know enough about this? And then how did you handle that fear? Yeah, I think um, to me, actually, one of the biggest challenges was the language barrier because um, and doing it in a different country that I didn't feel it wasn't just Greece. Like I feel obviously a sense of calmer understanding of the Greek culture and Greeks in general. But the, you know, working in Germany, working in France at one point, you know, working in London, I was living between Paris and London. It was just kind of like a hype it was just I was constantly on the move and I never felt like there was a time to just you know take a breath with it it was just kind of a constant go 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 so that I think you just have to go with it but um, I think initially at least um, you know said there are different different standards of of production and different standards in in every country and different expectation levels so you know cultivating a crew in Greece and cultivate in Athens and cultivating a crew in Germany and cultivating. I mean, those are all like little mini startups every time you, you go to a different territory. So, and then that all has to kind of fall under the same umbrella as the film and kind of what you're trying to do internationally. So it was, that was, I think the most challenging bit, but, you know, I learned a bit of German anyway, like you, you find a way to get through it in a way. So. Um. I mean, I think it's, it's a huge accomplishment, you know? So was there, were there, there had to be bumps in the road, like, like every entrepreneurial journey or like every project. So what would you say, you know, were your biggest bumps or your biggest, if you had to think of something that maybe at the moment felt like a failure to you when it happened, what, what were some of those moments? I think, um, well, I think initially when we were, you know, it was a huge thrill for us when, you know, our international distributor, you know, took it for worldwide rights for all these different countries, and it was going to be theatrical in all these different countries. I think it was a huge hit for us when COVID hit, because that was something that you can't control, obviously. And it was, you know, a, a global scale theatrical release in, in so many different territories. Um, was always the goal so to have, have achieved the goal and not be able to to kind of see it through was was really difficult for us um and you know there's nothing you can do about it it's just that it's the way that COVID. i mean once in a generation pandemic happened to hit <laughs> at the time of the release um and then you know also tying that into the euros that were taking place um was always kind of the marketing strategy, but then the euros were postponed a year and they maybe postponed another year. And it was just kind of this nonstop. And then that shifts the, you know, the hook, so to speak, in certain countries that wouldn't normally be interested in a story about, uh, about soccer or about, you know, that, that sort of, the sort of story that Euro 2004 was for Greeks. Um, so, you know, those, those were, I think the biggest challenges and it was, it was definitely frustrating, but we, we had to find a way to um, adapt. And, you know, like for example, in the UK, we released on Sky, um, which has a great platform and they stream, you know, and they're a prominent, prominent outlet and they were great with the film, but, you know, it was also like we, the cinemas were closed. It, it was in a way we had 
captive audiences because people were at home. Um, but at the same time, it's different than the initial, you know, the initial ambition and the initial um, decision on what we were going to do with the film. I mean, does that feel like, I don't know, does that feel anticlimactic to you? Does that feel like a failure to you? Obviously it's not a failure. I'm just saying like, does that feel, how big is it? I can sense the disappointment, you know? Yeah. Say a little more about that maybe. Well, I think definitely not with Sky because Sky alone is, I mean, most documentaries only release on Sky in one territory and that's already a huge accomplishment. So the fact that we released on Sky and then we were everywhere else too is great. Um, and I'm grateful to Sky for that, obviously. But the, um, I think in general, it's just that, you know, I personally was wanted to make this film because I felt like at the time, you know, when we were initially doing it, Greece was being inundated with a bunch of, you know, bad press and people were kind of, you know, scapegoating Greece. And it was, it was, it was, it kind of went beyond the political aspect and became more of a, this is who you are as people and this sort of thing. And so that was initially kind of a driver. I felt like, well, you know, there's a story and while this is soccer and this is in sports have, you know, it's not the same as politics, obviously, and, and way people live their lives. There is a bit of a soft power and a bit of a cultural, um, you know, cultural aspect to this story. And I felt like, you know, this was a story I wanted to tell. And at the time, especially it was between Germans and Greeks um, were kind of the, the heat of it. And I was like, well, this is a great story about, you know, Germany and Greeks, <laughs> Germany and Greece collaborating in the best possible way and you know that was kind of the impetus initially so I think well to take it back to your question I think to not be able to share that you know these are this is a story that promotes the right values of Hellenism and it, it to not be able to share that as globally as I wanted I mean we still released in the Middle East and in Asia and in Africa and South America I mean I'm not suggesting you know, we didn't get to do that, but at the same time, it just, in order to do it the way we were initially intending would have been great, I think, for, yeah. for Greek culture and for Greeks. But. Um, you know, I, would it, would it feel right to say that, you know, this is sort of the story of an underdog? I mean, Greece kind of felt like the underdog at that moment. And, you know, I, I think that sometimes I think of, you know, being, I think we get hard on, on ourselves when we feel like we're not the best at something or we're not going to, you know, it's in sports is of course about winning and life a lot of times is about winning. Um, and so, you know, but there's this whole thing that I think about a lot, which is that, you know, when you're bad at something, that's actually how you learn and that's actually how you grow and like no sports, you know, athlete or, or anybody, you know, started there. We all started at the first step, you know, and I wonder if there, there was, um, a moment where, or in, in the growing of this huge entire project that you felt like maybe, you know, I'm the underdog or maybe I feel like I'm bad at something, but I need to take this first step so I can learn and grow. Like what were the biggest areas of growth that you had, you know? Yeah, I think, you know, the film is about outsiders. I mean, uh, the Greeks were obviously 300 to one outsiders going into the tournament. Um, Mr. Ray Hoggle, from Germany was an outsider coming to Greece, not speaking the same language, not understanding the culture, and he had to triumph. And so I kind of took inspiration from, from him and from them in that sense, being an outsider, you know, being an outsider, even though I'm coming to Greece and even though I've been going to Greece ever since I was a kid and, you know, I'm 100% Greek, it's still a different scenario when you're, 
when you're an outsider, when you were born somewhere else and you're raised somewhere else. So to do this project in Greece, I felt like an outsider coming in. Um, and I think that, you know, in a way, even though I understood, I, even though I understood the Greek culture deeply, I mean, it was, it was definitely a different, different, uh, different challenge uh, going to a foreign country and, and, you know, working, working that process through. And I think that the, the narrative of the film and the story kind of took shape from that experience that I had because I focused the story on Mr. Ray Hoggle's journey as an outsider coming to Greece and having to triumph because that was kind of the same thing I was going through at the time. I love that, like the parallels there. And I wonder, like, can you say, I mean, being I'm Greek American, and I'm sure a lot of people who are going to listen are Greek or Greek American. And can you say a little bit more about sort of the, because in the beginning you referenced that you thought, you know, that there is a difference, you know, the diaspora is different, the Greeks are different, you know, what kind of differences and how did you deal with those? You know, how did you wrap your head around and like sort of yeah. rise above them if you did? Yeah, uh, I think that, um, well, for one in Greece, I feel like they, you know, Greeks from Greece view, even if you, you're Greek and you know everywhere else they know you as Greek. If you go there and you say you're Greek, they're like, you're not Greek, you're Sixenos, you're from like where were you? Where you That's a hundred percent true. I know. <laughs> yeah. And they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm my whole, you know, identity is that I'm Greek and my family's Greek and all this stuff. And they're like, yeah, you're you're maybe you're half Greek. And you're like, what is this half Greek? I <laughs> it's like <laughs> you're Greek or you're not Greek. Um, but there's kind of varying degrees of uh of Greekness is is something that I think you initially face. Um, also, the you know there's a difference in in kind of how you expect to do things. I mean, one one small example that I've actually learned to adopt for better or for worse. But um, you know, when you try to set a meeting in Greece, it's it's never it's going to happen on Thursday at five. It's I'll call you Wednesday night and we'll talk about it. And then Thursday morning, I'll call you and let you know if we're still on for the afternoon. And then Thursday at 12, we can talk and see if we'll, we'll still do it. So yeah, that's just a cultural difference, for example. But when you're putting together a production and you, and you have you know cameras and all these different things that need to happen and everything needs to be coordinated, um, you know, those are, that was one example of the challenges that we face. But in true form, you know, at the end, it works out somehow. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, you know, um, I had another question that just left me um, based on that. So, definitely, those differences are are something that that is there and that needs to be sort of dealt with. Um, and so, would you say that like this is you had a was there a struggle? Uh, in your journey, it doesn't have to be just in your King Otto journey, that defined you? Um, well, I think in the King Otto journey, at least, it was kind of um, coming to terms with that outsider perspective. I think I went in thinking, you know, I'm Greek, if, like this is going to be, I'm just going to make the film and everyone's going to want to be supportive and a part of it because we're all championing Greek stories. And we're all interested in championing, you know, Hellenism, but that's not really the case. I mean, people are interested in that, but they're not interested in it. Uh, I'd say initially they are when they see what you're doing and it's your job to obviously explain and, and kind of uh, showcase what you're trying to do. But I think 
you know, in order to, part of the story is, is, you know, in the film is, is about how, you know, united we're stronger and that the fact that this was a rallying cry for the Greek world internationally, Greeks in Greece, Greeks in Australia, Greeks in the United States, everybody was kind of united behind this singular cause and political affiliations, you know, Olympiagos, Panathaikos, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Everyone was rooting for one team, which doesn't often happen in the Greek world. Yeah. Uh, so this was kind of that moment. And so I felt like, you know, if we can just pull through, if we can just get to that point where, you know, we make the right impact and we make sure that the film is an international film and it's not just a Greek story that, you know, will air once and no one will see. I mean, it needed to be an international film released. That was always the ambition so that we were happy to be able to achieve that. And that was kind of what I thought could become a rallying cry for Greeks. And, you know, the response we got, especially in, in places, obviously, with heavy Greek communities, but in, in Australia, for example, people showed up at the cinemas, you know, in full soccer kits and wearing, oh. you know, with Greek flags and they all went to Greek restaurants before <laughs> and they sold out five like preview screenings and there were chants during the movie and people were just cheering as though they we just scored the goal. I mean, it was just to see that was great because it brought back a lot of great memories for for everybody that lived through it and also to kind of introduce the story to a generation that maybe was too young at the time to really remember when we were you know truly exceptional and the the eyes of the world were were on Greece for the summer of 2004. I mean it was amazing. It de I definitely remember it. Um and I what what I remembered what I wanted to ask you which is that um so when you're you know you were dealing with this outsider thing since COVID, it's become a much bigger thing to be a digital nomad and work in all different cultures and all different. And it's, I mean, you were not just a digital nomad in one country. You were like, you know, in Germany and Greece and London. And, you know, so what, do you have any tips that you would give people like, or do you want to say something about that nomadic sort of experience? Yeah, it's, it's not good for relationships, but um <laughs> It's uh, no, but I think if you, um, you know, I think just to be mobile, my, I mean, what we were able to do was to set up, you know, quote unquote base camps in each of these places. So, you know, in Athens, we had our base. And then in, when we go to Germany, we didn't just look for a new place every time. It was like, we, this is where we're staying. This is what we're doing. This is our base in the city so we can kind of build the little family or little comfort zone in each location because when we're going in between these places just to any familiarity is helpful I think and so that was you know that was a guiding you know light in a way to help us get through it I mean the main camps were in London and Athens because that's where we were editing in London and we we're shooting in Athens so that was you know but there are a lot of you know those are easier uh, I'd say easier steps for our production than Germany and France. Um, but, you know, I think that in general, just finding familiarity was helpful. Find a, find a group of people or find familiar places or familiar type of cafes, maybe food or whatever that you can feel yeah. a little bit of home. Okay. Yeah. Um, so the movie is about outsiders right and it's about being the underdog but it's also about success and you know winning against all odds and so i wonder how do you define success uh well with this film i think 
you know, success for us was to spread the word about this story and to bring the Greek world, you know, back together to, to celebrate one of the great stories in, in modern Greek history, uh, whether you're a sports fan or not. I mean, the story is really not about sports. It's about, you know, two cultures coming together to speak the same language. So that is, I think, for us, what we were able to achieve with the distribution that we got and the, the you know, the we're really grateful for the critical response and the audience response that we got. So I think that that for us was success because we the goal was always to bring this story to the to the mainstream again and to bring this bring Greeks back to the forefront. And so I think we were able to achieve that with this film. So that was that was always the goal. What about you as Chris? Like what does success mean to you? I mean, this was your first film. It obviously is a huge accomplishment. It's done really well. I mean, is this it? This is success? I mean, what what does well, what does it mean? Yeah, I think, you know, personally, you know, obviously I, I you know, looking to my next projects and all that stuff. So it was, you know, this was you have to kind of treat, I think, each project as its own its own venture capital in a way or its own startup in a way. And it's kind of seeing that from seeing that project from its origins and seeing that through to completion gave me the personal satisfaction and you know the feeling of accomplishment with this story in this film and then of course you know the next one is the next focus and you start again pushing a boulder up a hill but it's for for a brief moment um you know it's nice to just look back for a second and, and see how far we came with it so what's next i mean what are your current things your current goals you know yeah i mean so this was our first uh major international release um i've worked at, i obviously i'd done films before for for espn and for um you know different different projects but in, in theory you know to, to the next project i think would, i would want to do is a, a narrative um narrative film not a documentary and it would be you know, of the same scale as King Otto or greater, but it would be, you know, another story championing uh, the same ideals, I think, that we were able to to work with on uh, King Otto, so. Okay, how do you, how do you decide what's next? Like, what's the decision process for a creative, you know, when you're, somebody in a corporate environment or you're working with clients or whatever, you know, other, there are other drivers for, you know, maybe what success looks like and also what's next and what your goals should be and all of that. But when you're a creative, you sort of create those goals on your own and, you know, wonder what that process is like. Yeah. Um, well, I think you try to structure it in the same way that, you know, anybody does in the sense that you structure your day or you try to structure your day as a Monday through Friday, you know, not necessarily nine to five. I wish it was nine to five. It's more like 14 hours a day, but the, that kind of, uh, you know, structure just to give you a sense of, um, you know, an infrastructure or a plan that you, you can try to stick to and for consistency's sake. Um, and then in terms of next projects, I think it's the same kind of thing. You have to kind of analyze what works and what, you know, has the potential to be made for a variety of different reasons. Um, and, you know, how that affects where you are personally in your life and, and kind of what your next ambition would be. Um, 
So that's that's the process we're going through right now. Is it sort of, I mean, did I hear it that it's sort of like what's in your heart and what you want to do, but also what's sort of like ripe for like the market at the moment? Yeah, both. I mean, there's stories obviously we've been wanting to tell, you know, this story I've been wanting to tell since it won the euro you know 18 years ago so it's just things percolating in the back of your mind you say okay i want to do that and then when the opportunity presented itself to do it um you know then you just have to be ready and go for it but that's kind of what we're doing now there's a bunch of stories that we're considering and then uh, you know seeing which one is is has the opportunity in the market you know because of course everyone wants to make every story but it's just it has to be it has to be right you have to have the right groups behind it you have to have the right team so that was always kind of uh, the first step in making sure that, you know, what you're, you're going to set, you're, there's such a sacrifice and there's such a, you know, personal, you, you, you basically have to love the story because you're going to live with it and, you know, forever, because even when it's out, it's going to live forever. So you have to really be in love with what you're going to do. So you said something about 14 hour days and, uh, you know, how do you stick to that path? You know, there's a lot. And, and interestingly, uh, there's so like two things, you know, one is, okay, how do you figure out your goals, which we talked about a little bit, and then, and how do you stick to them? And how do you stick to structuring your day? Because you're not an office person that someone's waiting for you to go nine to five, you know, and um, you can, you have that flexibility, but at the same time, you know, you need to get the work done. Yeah, I think it's something I'm still learning in terms of uh, how to, you know, compartmentalize some of that stuff because there's, you know, it's a challenge when you, you work. I mean, at some point in this, we were doing 14 hour days, seven days a week, and it was nonstop. And it's just, you just have to do it because if not, then, I mean, every little thing if, from an outside perspective, you're saying, oh, that's just a, that's just a graphic detail on a bit of the trailer. But, you know, if that graphic details off the branding of the films off, you don't, you know, it becomes a whole thing. So every detail matters. Um, and so I think you just kind of have to find a way to, to do that. I mean, in terms of compartmentalizing it and having it be, you know, a good balance, that's more, I think that people are always struggling with that. So it's, it's a, it's a challenge, but, you know, hopefully the idea of, of kind of setting it and, and starting this next project in a, um, in a specific location and not having it be in four places and you know will be helpful to at least be able to turn off at some point yeah and i mean also you know you mentioned also not having a personal life and so you know i wonder how much obviously your heart is in your movies right but how much of your work life becomes your personal life then because you're with your team all the time you're, you're, you know, practically living and working and eating and breathing together all the time, you know, or, you know, how much of your personal life do you share with your team? Like how much of that do you allow? I know you're a private person. We yeah. talked about that a little bit offline, but like, so how much of that crossover happens inevitably or how much of it do you keep very, you said, use the word compartmentalized? Yeah, I think, you know, the lines get blurred at some point because you, you're basically, I mean, you're spending time with people for full days and trips and you're on trains and you're doing all these different things. And, and so you, you become part of that. And I think, you know, especially the editing, we're, we're sitting there with, you know, my editors who are my friends as well, obviously, and you're spending time and no one understands why it's, you know, 
why we're talking about the intonation of Mr. Ray Hoggle's voice in this one thing. And you just sound like a weirdo if you're talking with anybody else, but because you have that shared experience, it's, uh, you know, those, that team camaraderie feeling is kind of what, um, you know, hopefully sparks results and, and, you know, trust within coworkers and, and, you know, it's not, it's not so, I mean, you also have a personal life to some degree, but it's, it's just becomes, uh, I think at, at specific moments, you, you have no choice, but to go all in and other times you need to learn when to kind of pull back and let, um, let yourself have a little bit of fun and, you know, take your mind off of it because uh, yeah. if you're just grinding, it becomes, you know, counterproductive at some point. Yeah. I mean, I, it's something I struggle with sometimes too, is like how much of your personal, but it sounds like, you know, in the editing room, in certain areas, like you actually think it's a real plus that you're friends with the people on your team, that you're in it together. Um, you know, that, that you're an integral part of your business and your brand and your team as yeah. a human. I mean, not just as like, you know, a boss and Chris who is like talented and has these skills. Yeah. I think, you know, there is a line though, but it, you know, in terms of your friends, but at the same time, if you get too friendly, then you lose the, the opportunity to kind of uh, do what's in the best interest because of, this moment or, or stay true to what you believe in the story. I mean, one thing that helped with this is that a lot of the production team was not Greek. And so, and that was intentional because we wanted to broaden the scope and make sure that it wasn't just like, uh, you know, the Greekest of stories about Greece winning and all this stuff. It was, it was, I in, intentionally had a, you know, German editor and an American editor and we have a British producer and we have German archival teams and we have all these different people. So you know, if, what's so clear to me, we, we reference, you know, um, inside references or something like that with, with the Greek world, or I think something's hilarious because of, you know, understanding the Greek culture and understanding that world, and then needing to make sure that that also is funny and that also works if you have no idea about that. So I think, or you're, you know, a German who has no ties to anything, or you're, you know, uh, person from Sweden that has no interest in Greeks or the Germans, but then the story has to work for them. So how does that work? That's where I think being close with people that you work with and, and being, you know, friendly uh, is helpful because then you can, you know, you can kind of bounce ideas. And if something's not funny or something doesn't work, they can tell you that's not funny. That doesn't work. And even if I right. think it's the funniest thing ever because, or, or it's the most emotional moment, um, like, for example, in the film, Mr. Rehagel sings the Greek national anthem as a German. So when we filmed that, you know, the Greek production crew that were, you know, recording the film and, and filming the film and had the soundbite were start clapping and everybody was getting emotional because he's singing the Greek national anthem. Now we're in Athens. He's in a room full of Greeks. Everyone's excited that he's doing that and he's German. But I need to make sure that that worked. That moment isn't just because I'm Greek and it's everyone's excited. You know that has to work for somebody. So we made sure that, you know, that was effective in in what it worked. You know, in terms of the narrative and and kind of how it plays contextually with the rest of the film. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Chris, um, any sort of tips? insights for people who are listening and want to get into film who always you know I actually have several friends who 
you know, have written scripts and are trying to, you know, pitch their films and, um, you know, what kind of insights or tips do you, would you, uh, you know, give people um, advice, any sort of closing things you want to say? I think, um, I don't know. I mean, at least with this film, it was very much to just, just do it. It was kind of the, the motto. It was kind of like, I mean, in the beginning, we were talking about it as, well, I don't know about this, or what if this isn't right? What, I mean, until I just said, I, I booked the flight to Athens and, and just went and just did it. And then, you know, you reach out to the first person that we want to be involved, and then they reach out to the next person until you start and you just do it. There's really nothing. I mean, you, we can talk and analyze about everything. And I'm sure everyone on my team would would tell you that I'm extremely analytical and annoying with that. But it's like, you know, you just have to do it, I think, is the, the best way we did it. And if somebody says no, it's like, that's fine and keep doing it anyway. Because, um, you know, there are plenty of times through this journey that we were told, you know, who cares about a Greek story? Who cares about, you know, this is only going to work for Greeks. Why does anyone care about the Greeks? I mean, it was, it was at some point borderline, I was like, what are you talking about? You know, with some of the things they're saying, but it's, it's just, you know, just do it anyway, in spite of what anyone says is kind of the focal point. And then, um, and that was the inspiration we took from the team because, you know, the team had a lot of obstacles, even within Greece, the Greek people were very antagonistic to the team and to Mr. Ray Hargel. And they're saying, ah, oh, you're going to fail like everybody else, or you're going to do this, or, you know, it's, it, they're, they're, you can't really listen to anybody. You just kind of have to do your own thing. At least that's what we did with this film. But So pushing through all the doubts, the fears, whatever is stopping you, and then dealing with people saying, no, this is not a good idea. Yeah, everybody says no all the time. It's just a matter <laughs> of, it's like, what degree do they say no? And is that really the answer? And, you know, what's the way around it? Because you have to find a way around it. Yeah. So Chris, thank you so much for your time and congratulations on this amazing film. And you just had a big premiere, a super successful launch party in New York. I'm so sad that I missed it. Um, but King Otto is at Angelica Theater in New York City uh, right now. And so if you're in New York, you can view it and on many other channels and places. Do you want to say where? Yeah, it's on uh, Amazon Prime, Apple TV, all major streaming platforms so we, we invite you to check it out and you know help spread the word awesome thank you chris thank you Ernest.